Now rocking with the best. Only two things can get you through this, man. Patience and persistence. Work harder than everyone. Be patient and just know that if you're gonna do something on your own, you're gonna have to feel some pain. You're only the boss if you put up your own money. If you don't put up your own money, I don't care how much somebody gives you. You're nothing but a supervisor. It's not yours. It, it takes fearlessness to be first. You know, to not move with a crowd, to move alone. I stopped living according to what people wanted me to do. I started living according to what actually made me happy. If you're not happy, change your life. Allow me to reintroduce myself. The Culture Talks Podcast with your host, Carlos Stutzer. afternoon ladies and gentlemen good evening good morning wherever you are in the world it is your boy c-i-double-z-y you dig and we are back again with another episode of the culture talks podcast today's a little bit different where we're doing a solo episode typically you guys are used to me bringing a guest on and i know every week i promise you i'm gonna bring back a fire guest but guess what the guest today is a fire guest and that guest is me you feel me does that make sense well either way i'm here I'm what you get, and as you can see, if you're watching this on video, I am in my basement, and I am rocking an original worn down the culture talks tea paint on it because you know hashtag hardworking man and all that, right? Um, either way, man, I appreciate you guys tuning in for this episode today. I believe this is season eight, episode ten, so the last episode of uh, season eight, if I'm correct. Um, and if you've listened, if you've been there with me since season one, episode one, and you're still here in season eight, episode ten. I need you to comment or leave a review or leave a comment in the review section on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Or if you're watching this on YouTube, leave a comment and let me know you've been here from the beginning. And I might, I just might have a special gift for you. But you have to tell me a distinct fact or a distinct memory about the first episode of the podcast. All right. All right. Boom. With that being said, we're going to go ahead and move on. Um, Today, we're going to be talking about a few things. Um, I know I just mentioned the Culture Talks Tees um, from the Voices of the Value brand that we started um, as an offshoot from the Culture Talks podcast. So we're going to be talking a little bit about building the t-shirt brand. We're going to talk a little bit about, you know, Black culture and Black business uh, news. We're going to talk a little bit about, you know, a, a, a few different things. So if you guys are interested in any of the things that I just said, or you're just interested in me, which who wouldn't be, I'm playing, I'm playing. Um, kind of, um, then continue listening. So let's go ahead and jump on into it. Um, if you are, like I mentioned, a fan of black business, a fan of black culture, and you've been on Twitter or Instagram at all lately, then you know that Rihanna has just became officially a billionaire, officially a billionaire that puts her as the second black woman and the second richest black woman behind Oprah. Um, and I think she's only like 33 or something. I don't know. That's why you need like a research guy on deck, you know, so he can just go look that up. But instead, I'm gonna look it up. So let's see. How old is Rihanna? Yep, I was right. I was right on. So Rihanna is 33 years old and she is the second richest black woman in the world. Or let me say in America, because I'm not guaranteed about the world. Um, but she did just become a billionaire. Um, and for those of you who don't know how she became a billionaire, Let's talk a little bit about her brands, her companies, right? So she started um, 
Fenty Beauty in 2017. And she, I think either just before that or just after that also has Savage X Fenty, Savage and Tons Fenty, right? So Savage and Fenty, right? So Fenty Beauty is her, her makeup line. Um, a lot of um, MUA um, products, uh, makeup artist products, or just makeup in general for consumers. Um, a lot of uh, beauty products in general overall. And then for Savage Fenty, that is more of a lingerie company, along with, uh, you know, other different types of wear um, that are, you know, sleek, fashionable, sexy, you dig. And she started both of those companies um, less than 10 years ago. And both of them have reached billionaire status, right? So Fenty Beauty is at 2.8 billion as of recently, and Savage Fenty is at 1 billion. Um, and Rihanna, aside from the millions of dollars she's made off of her top shelf music, has also 50% ownership in Fenty and 30% ownership in Savage Fenty. So, um, you know, do the math, 2.8 billion, 50% ownership, 1 billion, 30% ownership. And obviously that puts you at a billionaire status, right? And so recently um, she sold half the business of Fenty to LVMH, which is one of the um, top luxury groups. You know, they own the likes of Timbaland, the likes of, um, you know, Jay-Z just sold the alcohol company. Uh, what's the alcohol company? Belair or something. Either way, just sold to them. Um, a lot of luxury goods or, you know, products that are seen as luxury, especially in hip hop culture, are owned by LVMH and Fenty also is owned 50% by LVMH while 50% of ownership stays in Rihanna's hands. So, um, like I said, puts her as the wealthiest female musician in the world and the second wealthiest female entertainer in the world behind Oprah Winfrey. Um, that 50-50 joint venture with the uh, luxury company LVMH was a great deal, you know, um, on top of her personal brand. That's also what I wanted to talk about, though, in regards to these two businesses is personal brand. You know, not many companies get to billionaire status in less than 10 years, um, especially especially, you know, brands like, you know, I, we should look up how long it took Victoria's Secret to become a billion dollar brand or how long it took some of these other uh, lingerie companies to become billion dollar brands. Let's look up how long it took. Sephora to become a $2 billion brand or a billion dollar brand. Let's look up how long it took. Um, who else? Who, I mean, ladies that are listening right now, you know of some big makeup companies. Go Google how long it took them to become billionaire status. And it only took Rihanna four years to hit billionaire status with Fenty Beauty. So when we think about how the hell is that possible, not only are the products, you know, potentially, you know, good. I don't know. I don't use the products. But we have to think about personal brand and we have to think about awareness. When someone like Rihanna, of Rihanna's you know, status in music, um, her status in fashion, her, her pop culture status, you know, what people know her for, how she brands herself, um, you know, when we think about Rihanna, we all get a little excited, whether it's guys or girls. Girls admire her, think she's super beautiful, super popping, love her music, love her body. Guys pretty much the same thing, man. They might try to pretend like they don't like the music, but they do. Um, and then on top of that, Rihanna has always, except for, you know, a few times, been a, a, a bright light in, in, you know, the media. You know, there's not too many bad things that happen. She always, you know, represents herself well. She's always been a hustler. She's always been a great artist. And um, 
you know, when you're able to maintain that for so long, and when you've been in the music game for so long, and you've been such a big part of the music and pop culture and hip hop culture, black culture um, in general, um, you're definitely going to hold a lot of weight. And so when you start a brand after you've already built a personal brand, when you start a, a company, when you start selling a product, when you start um, selling a service, um, there's going to be a lot more attention then there's going to be if you're just some random guy that's trying to start a startup or some random girl that's, you know, trying to build out a makeup company, you might become billionaire status, but it might take you 10 to 12 years. Whereas when someone like Rihanna already establishes a brand, a personal brand, then comes out with a product or a service, you see the positive effects, you know, financially and on that and how fast a business can grow. Um, this is why I always talk about the importance of social media um, content and what you post and providing value and building up your personal brand first before you launch a product or before you launch a service. Because if people know you, if people are aware of you, if people trust you, they're going to buy from you. And people know Rihanna. People were aware of Rihanna for years since they were children and they trust Rihanna. So when a product, she puts out a product around beauty or around, you know, lingerie or fashion, People are going to buy because they think that she's awesome. They think she's beautiful. They think she knows beauty. They think she knows fashion. And they've known her for that for years. So why would you not trust somebody who has that kind of reputation, right? Why would you not buy? And so I'm not surprised that she's hit billionaire status. I'm happy for her. And uh, I thought it was something we needed to mention. Um, you know, starting Fentian four years ago and being a $2.8 billion brand today shows the power of personal brand. And you guys should definitely, you know, pay more attention to that in your own lives if you're trying to start a business or if you're an entrepreneur in some way or some fashion, right? So um, we're going to move on to our next topic. And our next topic is something I've been doing on Twitter lately. So what I've been doing on Twitter lately is I've been trying to write more threads and one of the topics I've been writing more threads about is about millionaires in Kansas City and about millionaire businesses or successful businesses that have came out of Kansas City. The reason that I'm doing this is, you know, when I was growing up here in the Kansas City area, I never thought anything positive of the area. I didn't think anybody wealthy lived here. I didn't think anybody with successful businesses lived here. I didn't think any successful artists came out of here. I didn't think any successful designers, fashion people, entrepreneurs, uh, uh, athletes. I didn't think anybody successful came out of here for real. And when someone did make it out, it seemed like a miracle, right? So the past year I've been running into a lot of people through these interviews and through research, you know, and just trying to delve, you know, and engross myself into the Kansas City area. There's been, there's so many people who are successful, really successful. I'm talking about really successful. And I think it's important for people from Kansas City, especially young people coming up, to know and understand that you can be from Kansas City, you can be from the flyover states, you can be from the middle of America, and you can still create a million dollar business. You can still be a successful artist, you can still be a successful businessman, you can still be a successful fashion designer. But the only way I think we can do that is if we highlight the people who've done it before and make it popular and make it make it front page, make it, you know, something that we see often. So I started creating threads called Millionaires of Kansas City. And um, we've talked about Hellsberg Diamonds, we've talked about H&R Block, and 
ah, there's just so many families and there's so many successful people. And so today I thought I would drop in and talk to you guys about H&R Block. So if there's any Twitter people, you know, that love reading threads, just go to my Twitter, um, at Collis Stutzer on Twitter, and you can read up on those threads. And if you don't care about threads and you didn't know that there were a lot of millionaires from Kansas City, I'm going to share a story about Hellsburg Diamonds instead of H&R Block because I like diamonds. Um, but I'm just going to read the thread straight through that I wrote up and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll stop to talk about certain things or maybe we won't, but I wanted to come in and I wanted to bring this content to my podcast listeners as well. So with that being said, we're going to jump in. This is the story about Hellsburg Diamonds and how they became such a huge company. So if you've lived in or spent enough time in Kansas City area, you know that Hellsburg Diamonds is one of the most recognized jewelry stores in the 816 to the 913. Am I right or am I right? Um, Morris Hellsburg, who is the creator of Hellsburg Diamonds, was born originally in Russia, but then immigrated to the States with his parents, um, landing him in Kansas City, Missouri. He had a pretty big family. Um, you know, when he grew older, he had about five children and was married to a lady named Lena. In 1915, he decided to open his first jewelry store establishment and called it Hellsburg Diamonds. So this is the birth of Hellsburg Diamonds. 1915, Kansas City, Missouri, family business, German immigrant. Okay. Um, so when he was trying to build this company, he made it into a family business. All five children helped run the store for the first few years. It was a, it was a true family business. So you know, all changes, all issues, all ideas were discussed in the family and consulted about before anything was officially decided. And although Morris was the, you know, early founder of the Hellsburg Diamond Store, he didn't get much time to build that business, though, because unfortunately, he soon fell sick and passed away at the age of 54 on January 30th, 1922, only seven years after opening Hellsburg Diamonds. Um, he ended up leaving the business to his youngest son, Barnett Hellsburg Sr., who is pretty much who built the business from then on out, from 1922 going on. Barnett was the youngest, but he didn't lack any ambition, um, as the youngest of the families typically don't. Yeah, they got Ronnie, that's me, that's me, baby. He shined in his work, and he, a few years after opening, after the opening of Hellsbrook, he started his own venture in a larger space called the Shaw Diamond Shop. So he did end up for a little bit breaking off from Hellsburg Diamonds and leaving Hellsburg Diamonds in the store to his uncle while he went and started his own diamond shop called Shaw Diamond Shop. Um, you know, as mentioned, you know, Barnett was very ambitious and he relished in his work. In less than a year, his monthly revenue at this new store called Shaw Diamond Shop, Shaw Diamond Shop, you know, his monthly revenue at his new store was doing the same exact numbers as the original Hellsburg store which had been in business for seven years. So in one year, he's done what the whole family's done with Hellsburg Diamonds in seven years. So ambitious, good business owner. Um, but the uncle took notice. The uncle who's running Hellsburg Diamonds takes notice and he decides to shut down the original store and join the youngest son, Barnett, at Shaw Diamond Shop. And they ended up rebranding that shop from Shaw to Hellsburg Diamonds again. And during the 1920s, the family, you know, and the brothers expanded the store to other markets in the Midwest, utilizing ad campaigns in the, in the magazine and allowing people to buy on credit. Um, they were one of the first companies to, um, you know, start allowing people to buy on credit. So that was super popular early on, along with running ads in the Kansas City Star and other local magazines. 
Um, despite the 1930s and the Great Depression, Barnett's ambitious attitude helped to continue the expansion of Hellsbrick Diamonds, and they only lost money during one year in the 1930s, okay? So let's think about how amazing that is. The 1930s is the Great Depression. Everyone's suffering. You know, there's war. There's, there's people coming back from the war. The company's economy is struggling and suffering extremely bad, some of the worst we've ever seen, and yet, Barnett and the family are still able to expand the Hellsbury Diamond Store and only lose money during one year out of 10. By the dawn of the 1940s, the company was considered the largest jewelry store in the Midwest. The largest jewelry store in the Midwest. In 1948, which is one year after my dad was born in Kansas City, by the way, so he was one year old when this was happening. In 1948, Barnett decided to open a large three-story store on the Country Club Plaza, which is still here today. So all Kansas City listeners know what that is, know where it is, and know how, how it gets down down there, right? So three-story store on the plaza and um, also relocated the Wichita location to a larger, more, more grandiose location in an attempt to target the elite of the Midwest, okay? So he... You know, Barnett decides in the late 40s to build some luxury stores, make the Hellsburg Diamond Store a little bit more luxurious, a little bit more pop and a little bit more grandiose because he was trying to attract, you know, the elite of the Midwest. And this effort, you know, kind of brought a lot of strain to other stores across the flyover states because a lot of money was going into these grandiose stores in Kansas City and in Wichita, and it was taking money and putting a little bit of pain on other stores across the Midwest. Um so they ended up having to close down a few stores. But in the 1950s, Barnett finished business school. And by the early 1960s, he ended up becoming the president of Hellsburg Diamonds. At that time, they were sitting at 39 stores in almost all downtown locations across a multitude of states and still growing at a pretty steady rate. Um, you may think that those downtown districts were prime retail, you know, right? Prime retail real estate because it's downtown. It's in a popular area where a lot of stuff is happening, where a lot of people are going. But actually, at the time in the 19, you know, 50s, 60s, the rise of suburban shopping malls was pulling traffic away from a lot of those downtown business districts and was actually hurting Hellsburg's business. So Barnett decided to shut down a handful of those stores and in shrinking the business to only 15 stores across the Midwest. He ended up moving those stores to or keeping the stores that were located in the suburban shopping centers. Barnett had a plan, though. Although he had a downsize, as usual, he was ambitious and he had a knack for ads. And as we know, in the 30s and 40s, that's how they built their business. So he doubles back to ads. And in 1969, Barnett launched the I Am Loved campaign and gave away over 18 million pins with that slogan that spread like wildfire across the country. The campaign helped spread brand awareness as they moved into expansion in the 1970s, their goal being three stores a year. By the 1980s, they'd nearly double in size and begin catching up to other large jewelry businesses doing well across the country. So let's pause there for a second. This company is started in the 1920s. It's over 50 plus years later, the youngest son is still running the business. And this business started right here in Kansas City. It started with one small store. Now they've nearly doubled, tripled from the 1920s and 30s in size and have began to catch up to other large jewelry businesses doing well across the country. By the mid 1990s, there were talks of taking the company public. And a few months after the talks, 
the, they about the IPO, they were sold to Berkshire Hathaway. And if you don't know about Berkshire Hathaway, look up Berkshire Hathaway. They own a lot. They own a lot. Shout out. Shout out Warren Buffett. Also a Midwest company, originally starting in Omaha. In summary, you know, big business takes a long time to build, but it can be done. Um, and it can be done from right here in Kansas City. We have many more great business stories out of Kansas City that I'll probably cover over the next few weeks via Twitter and on the podcast. But don't forget that no matter where you are, it's all about effort. It's all about being ambitious. It's all about having a great idea. It's all about solving a problem. And if you can do those things and you can commit to working hard every single day, no matter where you're from, eventually, eventually, you're going to be successful. So just know that. Don't let the town that you're from, don't let the state that you're from, you know, you know, discourage you and push you, push you off the path that you were trying to go down, right? So um, that's that about, you know, Kansas City and some successful businesses. We'll continue to talk about that in future podcasts. And if you follow me on Twitter at Carlos Stetzer, you'll see a few more threads about that over the next few weeks. So if that's something you're interested in, definitely tune in. Um, and uh, subscribe to the podcast if you want to hear it, you know, via voice or subscribe or follow me on Twitter if you want to just read the threads. So we're going to transition to the t-shirt business. So um, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't know, um, I do have a t-shirt business called Voices of Value. The slogan is derived from the podcast. And why is the slogan the culture talks? Well, that's because while I was recording the, the the podcast, you know, I was thinking there has to be something that I can put out there into the world that people can touch, you know, that is tangible, that connects them to the idea of, you know, the culture talks and the vision and the mission behind the culture talks. So both the com t-shirt company Voices of Value and the podcast, the culture talks or the media company, the talk culture talks media, both share similar missions, you know, and that's to uplift the voices of the unheard, you know. As I was growing up as, you know, a minority creative, as a minority individual coming from a mixed family, you know, I only really thought I could do the things that I saw people who looked like me do on TV. And all they really showed were athletes and entertainers. And I couldn't identify something that I was talented at when it comes to entertainment. I didn't think I was a good actor and I was never an artist. And when it comes to sports, you know, once you hit a certain age, you kind of realize, you know, I'm not going to go pro. And for a lot of young, you know, African-Americans, for a lot of young minority individuals in general, Mexicans, African-Americans, you know, Dominicans who are Black as well, you know, all, all, all people um, who come from communities where there's a lack of representation, you know, especially in the, you know, Western world, feel similar ways. They, they only think they can do what they saw people who look like them do. And they don't think anything outside of that is actually possible. So the, the idea behind Voices of Value is to let you know that, you know, no matter where you're from and no matter your circumstances and no matter if you've never seen somebody like you do the things that you might want to do, understand that your voice is valuable, that you have the capacity to do what you want to do, and you should go out there and do it, you know. And that's really the mission, the idea behind both the t-shirt brand and the podcast. And so you know, after a while doing the podcast, I was like, let me la launch this t-shirt brand and let me call it Voices of Value. So it has some slight separation from the Culture Talks. And let me use the, the you know, the Culture Talks saying as the, the, you know, front and center, you know, phrase that people see on these t-shirts. 
Now, the t-shirt business is is a very interesting business. I would definitely say that it is, you know, oversaturated. But I'm not one to shy away from a business venture or a business idea just because it's oversaturated. Because I've always been told by my mentors growing up that even if an area is oversaturated, if you literally like it, pursue it. And if you're really good at it, you're truly talented at it, and you actually have a good product, then you're going to be successful regardless of if it's quote-unquote oversaturated or not. We have to remember there's 7 billion people on herd, millions and millions of people in our cities and in our states, and people are allowed to like more than one thing. So just because your other local t-shirt company in your area or another company, you know, an ice cream company or a or a uh, laundromat, just because one is popular doesn't mean that other people won't like yours if you have a better story. Or it's not so much about being better, but if you have a story that connects with them. And, you know, we hope that our mission connects with a lot of people's stories. And, you know, and we, 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 we are trying to build off of that, you know. Um, somebody asked me, what's a mistake you wish you made a little bit earlier? And, that mistake is, you know, not having the brand super down packed and written down the mission statement written down, understanding exactly the vision and goal. Because when you come out and you start trying to sell a product without a story, and you know, not being super sold on on the mission that you're telling people, people can tell. And when people can tell, they're going to shy away from your business because they think you're being inauthentic. Even though you're trying to be authentic, they think you're being inauthentic because they can tell that you are not even sure, that you're not even confident in your product. You're not even confident in the story you're trying to tell. So luckily enough, we've been able to nail that down and really understand our mission statement and really understand our goal with the company and really understand our target audience, right? And sometimes you'll have a target audience and people outside of that audience will also buy and connect with it in a certain way. Or they might buy because they just rock with you and rock with the way you look, to be honest. So you always want to have a target audience, a niche audience that you're trying to, to talk to. And you want to understand the story and, and the reason behind your product and why you're selling it and, and, and the change that you're trying to create. Um, and when you're able to do that, you're going to draw much more attention. You're going to have a lot more people willing to buy. And another mistake that, you know, I, I made, you know, with this T-shirt company. And honestly, I'm still trying to work on is ordering samples, man. You always want to order samples. You always want to sample the manufacturer. You want to sample the t-shirt product. You want to sample the designer. You want to sample, um, you know, screen printing. You want to have somebody do a digital transfer, a digital print. You want to have somebody do a screen printing. You want to have somebody stitch it. You want to have some... You want to use this t-shirt product. You want to use this t-shirt product. You want to sample and you want to test your product out and you want to let other people test it out in the early stages so that you can come out confident in the product you're putting out there and, you know, really enjoying it. And I think that's another mistake that I wish I, you know, you know, didn't make and would have made like, you know, just wish I didn't make, but it was a mistake that I made that, I learned from and now I know that before you know we put a product out there that we need to sample it we need to see what the design looks like we need to know what it feels like we need to know how long it takes for it to ship and yeah so I'm gonna read off a few questions um, that people have asked over the past 
um, few days and just kind of talk about it. Another question somebody asked was, um, by the way, this is all about the t-shirt business. So how do you drive new growth while still providing value to your past and current customers? How do you drive new growth while still providing value to your past and current customers? You know, this is interesting. I think I think our business model, which is really just like a what I call a drop model. So we don't keep any of our t-shirts um, in stock longer than a month. We might come back with, you know, another product if people really like it and bring some of the originals back. But we are a drop-based company. So we just do drops. Um, and every time we do a drop, we try to have some different um, design, some different phrase, uh, you know, a different type of cut of a t-shirt, um, whatever it might be. We try to come with a new product every month. And I think there's benefits um, in that because you're constantly, you're constantly innovating. And some customers are going to appreciate innovation. They're going to love to get different styles and they're going to, and they're going to love to be a part of the journey and a part of the, you know, story of how the brand grew from day one to the end. And they're going to buy every product from the very first product to the very last product you buy. And they're going to be proud of that. And I think that's one way we can provide value to our current customers is, you know, really helping them become a part of the family and, and, and letting them be a part of the journey. You know, every time they get a new product, they were, they were there with us. They saw where we had, they saw how many customers we had, they saw how many followers we had, they saw, you know, their original, you know, quality of the t-shirt, they saw the original design and they get to grow with us while we're able to provide value for our new and current, uh, for our new customers um, by again, you know, always having something new that comes out there and, you know, building a level of hype around, you know, what's going to come out. So when they're new and they just become aware of us and they're like, oh, I see all these designs of the design changes all the time. Interesting. Like, and then they see a post like new design coming soon, or they see, you know, sign up to, to become for, you know, sign up for the email list so you can become the first to know about the next product design. Then it kind of draws, you know, more attention and, and builds hype around what is that next product going to be? I want to join in now so I don't miss out on the next product and I want to be there with them from here on out. So I don't know if that makes sense, but that's really how we drive new growth while still providing value for our current customers. I think there's benefits to both. And the cool thing is, you know, there's going to be a lot of customers that are going to want an old product back. And when that demand is high enough, then we can bring it back and we can satisfy that need. So it's, it's also fun. You know, it's just fun to see what people really like, what people are drawn to. And, you know, you never know, maybe in the future, we'll just, um, open the the store to all of our old designs and just have it a full store available to everybody of all of our old designs and our new designs and continue to innovate. But as of, as of right now, we're still going to continue down that drop model. So join us while you can get it, get in a part of the family, you know, be here early on. We've only been in business for just about a year. Um, so if you're listening to this and you didn't know about Voices of Value, go follow VOV Apparel on Instagram or go to vovapparel.com and tap in. Um, the next question is, how do you approach your branding to set yourself apart from other mainstream apparel brands? Um, this is an interesting question. I don't think I really we really set out to be so different than these other brands. We just want to be us and be authentic to our story 
and be authentic to, you know, our experiences and, you know, have a positive impact on our community. Now, if that's in alignment with another brand or it's very similar to another brand, then cool. It is what it is. Maybe we can join up, partner up and really uh, have a larger impact. Our goal is just to truly, you know, uplift the voices of the unheard, you know, empower the people who feel like they, they aren't seen and make them feel seen. And we, we, we hope that the product, when they rock our t-shirts, make them feel, you know, good, make them feel like they want to speak up in certain, in, in, in situations where they would normally be quiet, make them want to be, you know, a hustler and chase their dreams, make them understand that their community and people look, that look like them are powerful and, you know, do have a say in what happens in this country or what happens in their community. And, and if we can make somebody feel like that, then we're doing our job and we don't really care, you know, if we're so different than another company, you feel me? So, um, yeah, man, I, I, I do want to say though, for people that are trying to start a t-shirt business, you know, I, I would definitely encourage you if you're in it purely just for, you know, the, 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 the drip and making money, um, is definitely, definitely a difficult business, man. It is, it's crowded as hell. Um, you have to have a story. Um, and if you want your success rate to increase, I would definitely encourage you building your own personal brand, um, up to, this is my suggestion. I'm not saying this is the right way or the wrong way, but building your personal brand up to 10 to 15 K before you start, you know, a, a, another brand outside of like, you know, just building your personal brand in general. Cause when you have such a large community, like we talked about with Rihanna, when you have people who see you and are aware, it makes it a lot easier to direct that traffic elsewhere, especially if there's a good story behind that business and they know you and they trust you and they rock with you. So that's one suggestion I'd have for, you know, anybody who wants to become a t-shirt entrepreneur is, you know, you know, understanding your, your mission, what's the purpose of you putting this product as just another piece of t-shirt out in the market, or is there a story behind it? Know that become comfortable with it and, and have the story down and, and truly believe in that story. Number two, build a personal brand, um, build up a following and then direct that following or try to, you know, help that following triple into your new business. Um, and number three is, you know, sample your products, sample everything before you actually put it out on the market. So, you know, hit up your friends, ask people questions. Uh, what manufacturer do you go to? What screen printer do you go to? Do you like screen printing? Do you like digital printing? Um, what website do you use? Do you create all the shirts at your house? Do you have a screen printer? Uh, do you have a heat press or do you go through Printful or Printify um, or some of these other companies who you know, you give them the design, you place it on the shirt, and then they connect you with the manufacturer and they ship it for you, right, for a cost. So, you know, build out your business model and have a story that you truly believe in and have a strong personal brand. And I think you have a pretty good chance of being successful, you know. Um, I will say that graphic design shirts are uh, a great direction to go if you're just getting into it for money, you know. Or if, you know, and even if you just, you're not just getting into it for money, if you have some type of um, graphic design that can go with the storyline that you're trying to tell or with the, with the, yeah, with the story you're trying to, you know, sell to your customers, then um, that's a great route to go. The graphic design shirt segment, you know, hold about 
I think the last time I read the largest market share um, in the t-shirt you know, industry, I think about like 50, 56, 57% in 2020. I was reading about it the other day and that shit is crazy. So um, they, they definitely hold the largest market share graphic design t-shirts. And if you come out with one with a good story, there's, you know, it's a high likelihood somebody's going to be interested. Um, you know, and I mentioned, you know, there in that little rant about screen printing and digital printing, you know, screen printing um, is also a segment that, that is doing really well in the t-shirt business because of the quality, you know, it, it really, you know, screen printing has the ability to really make things show a little bit better on darker t-shirts, um, designs look a little bit better they 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 last a little bit longer they're they're deeper into the t-shirt um and you know like i said you know that segment screen printing versus digital printing you know i think screen printing holds like revenue share of like 45 percent or 50 percent of the market um in the custom t-shirt market so and i think that was 2019 or 2020 so just understand that graphic design screen printing these are really popular in the t-shirt business so that's a great place to kind of start or become educated in um, but don't forget about digital printing do not forget about digital printing it's also an option it's not it's not bad and it's definitely the fastest growing segment um, in regards to how you get the design onto the t-shirt and the t-shirt business um, growing fast and will continue to grow over the next seven years. So don't discount it. That's enough about t-shirts though. That is enough about t-shirts because I'm tired of talking about t-shirts. I'm tired of wearing t-shirts. So I'm pretty much like ready to get off this podcast so I can take this t-shirt off. You feel me? Um, but yo, I hope you guys are enjoying this solo episode. I know I talk a lot and I talk really fast, but you know, thought it was important to talk a little bit about black business and black news with with Rihanna talk a little bit about the potential to be successful in any place wherever you're at and talk about successful businesses from Kansas City talk a little bit about my experience with t-shirt business and and the struggles of growing that and you know I I, I, I plan to share more about the growth of that story and kind of share the growth of that company in public with you guys so we'll definitely talk about that more on other solo podcasts for sure um I did want to talk about um, men dressing nice. Now, I want y'all opinion on the importance of uh, how important some men. I want you guys to comment below if you're watching this on YouTube or comment um, on Apple reviews or Spotify reviews and let me know how important is fashion to you. Growing up, I ain't gonna lie. I don't really care about fashion, especially when I got into like my teens and 20s. I really didn't care about fashion. I'm like sweatpants, shorts, ain't about to waste my money on no clothes. But like lately, I kind of I kind of understand, you know, fashion, you know, you know what they say. You look good. You feel good. You smell good. You feel good. You know, if you look good and you feel good. You play good. Right. And play good can be, you know, sport. It can be, you know, <laughs> being a player, you dig. I'm just playing. Don't do that. Um, but, you know, it can be at your business, at your job, just being confident in how you move. I kind of understand why, you know, fashion is important to some people because it really can be an art for those who are super artistic. And then for others, it can just make you feel confident. So and women have always been known for like caring about fashion and beauty. 
But man, I want you guys to leave your comments on how important is fashion and why is fashion important to you? Um, with that being said, we're going to finalize this podcast with a breakdown of a quote of the day. The quote of the day is from Tony Robbins. It is, quote, it is in your moments of decision that your destiny is shaped, end quote. Again, it is in your moments of decision that your destiny is shaped, um, Tony Robbins. So I kind of talk about this idea every day on my Instagram videos where I'm like, yo, today is another opportunity to be great, another opportunity to be grateful for your ability to breathe, see, talk, smell, another opportunity for you to change your life and change the lives of those around you. And the reason why I say that so much in all of my videos is really, you know, kind of just like what this quote is saying, you know, it's in your moments of decision, you know, if it's that video that you're watching of mine and, or, or that moment where uh, a motivational video is on and you decide at that moment that you're going to change your life, if you decide at that moment that you're going to commit to a process, if you decide at that moment that you're going to take action towards your goals, towards your dreams, that is where your destiny is shaped. But if you never, if you never make decisions, if you're constantly, you know, being hindered by obstructions in the way and you're, you're enabling yourself to be enabled to not make decisions, then you never you're never going to reach the heights that you could have reached if you just made the decision. So a reminder that it is in your moments of decision that your destiny is shaped. Remember that, take action tomorrow, take action tonight, take action every day of your life from here on out, make the decision to be great. And uh, with that being said, ladies and gentlemen, I really appreciate you guys tuning into the podcast, the solo episode with Kyle Stutzer. Um, and if you enjoyed this, if you want more solo episodes, please let me know because you know I can talk and I will definitely come on here doing solo episodes every week if y'all like that. But um, I think we'll be back with another guest, uh, if not next week, the week after that, trying to decide when I want to release this next one. Um, but thank you guys for watching. Thank you guys for listening and leave a comment, leave a five-star review if you enjoyed this podcast. If you thought it was entertaining, interesting, or informational, please share it with a friend. And don't forget to subscribe because that's the only way we can grow. You dig? The Culture Talks Podcast. This your boy, C-I-Z-Z-Y. You dig? And I'm out. Salud!